Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Problem With Men podcast. To start with, I'd like to thank everyone who's been in touch since we published the first episode. Obviously, it's amazing to get such positive feedback, and it also highlights how important the purpose of this podcast is to people. I'm really humbled with some of the messages I've received, and grateful that the hard work that goes into putting this together is appreciated. So here we are, the podcast that's here to highlight the issues faced by modern men, and see what solutions might be available. In this episode, we're putting on our best suit for a visit to the divorce court. You're listening to the Problem With Men podcast. If you have something to say, I'd like to hear it. I want a divorce. What did you say? I want a divorce, Megan. Are you serious? Of course I'm serious, Paul. I want a divorce. Divorce? I want a divorce. You want a divorce? I have wings, darling. I want to fly. As Hollywood knows, divorce is probably one of the most dramatic events we can go through as humans. Which is why it's so often played out in the scripts of Hollywood films and TV series. But of course, there's nothing more traumatic than going through it yourself. In 2019, as former Amazon CEO and hater of toilet breaks Jeff Bezos announced his split with then-wife Mackenzie Scott on Twitter, reactions from around the globe varied, from estimating which country's GDP was going to match the divorce settlement, to comments on the powerful divorced guy energy he was giving off in his social media posts. What this energy was describing was his transition from thin-haired tech geek to buff, bald billionaire. Divorce energy can be tricky to define, but it essentially boils down to the reinvention of a person post-divorce. For women, divorce energy is often seen as a renewal, a fresh start. Think Marilyn Monroe's divorce dress, or the famous photo of Nicole Kidman standing in the sun with a look of joy on her face, taken just after her divorce to Tom Cruise was finalised, or Adele's casual announcement at the theme of her 2021 album. What's my next album going to be based on? Um, divorce, babe, divorce. On the flip side, divorced men's energy is often seen akin to a midlife crisis. Bad instinctive behaviours, tainted with bitterness and anger, and represented by fictional characters such as Milhouse's dad in The Simpsons. Uh, single's life is great, Homer. I can do whatever I want. Today I drank a beer in the bathroom. It went down the hall. Yeah. And another great thing, you get your own bed. I sleep in a racing car, do you? I sleep in a big bed with my wife. Oh, yeah. Or even more depressing, Ross Geller in the 90s sitcom Friends. Hi. <laughs> this guy says hello, I want to kill myself. Are you okay, sweetie? I just feel like someone reached down my throat, grabbed my small intestine, pulled it out of my mouth and tied it around my neck. Cookie? <laughs> Carol moved your stuff out today. Oh. Let me get you some coffee. Thanks. I'll be fine, all right? Really, everyone. I hope she'll be very happy. No, you don't. No, I don't. To hell with her. She left me. So what is it about divorce that we see it as freeing women and destroying men? Why do we fall into the trap of seeing divorce as something that has winners and losers? I should caveat this episode by pointing out that divorce and breakups are complex, and so we're only going to be dealing with things in general terms. 
obviously everyone has their own experience. We're also not going to dig too much into the complexities of children. We're saving this for a different episode. With that said, why do we even get into relationships in the first place? Aren't we as men designed to spread our seed far and wide? Well, what we did is, is um, you know, first of all, we wanted to look at this from an evolutionary perspective, which which in simple terms, that means from a biological perspective. We, we wanted to look at this from the the perspective that it's kind of accepted that men and women have evolved to invest in a different way in relationships, meaning, you know, women bear the cost of bearing a child and, you know, they're going to have a long-term biological investment in that child. Um, Whereas a man, if he chooses to, can uh, leave the investment in that child. Craig Eric Morris is a biocultural anthropologist. And there's, the, you know, and evolution has no moral judgment here. There's no, you know, there's, there's no normative values here. These are just, you know, biological facts. So evolutionary theory and evolutionary theorists have a very specific way they look at um, how the sexual dynamics happen in relationships the the predicted model says says this this is the way the the research the, the research kind of landed with a huge sexy explosion on the field in the 80s and 90s and it kind of said you know hey men are here to have sex with as many people as humanly possible because men can literally have they can father thousands of children in their lifetime. Women physically are only going to be able to parent dozens of children in their lifetime. So therefore it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. Again, not a, you know, we're not making any moral judgments here from an evolutionary perspective. It makes sense for a man to have as many sexual partners as he can in his lifetime. I mean, there are historical instances of men having sired, literally 15, 16,000 children. Um, you know, Genghis Khan had 15,000 direct descendants. A woman physically cannot do that. She physically doesn't have that many eggs at the time of her birth. So the argument is then that men are predisposed to be unbelievably promiscuous and women are predisposed to be very highly selective. A woman better pick a very high-quality mate because each one of her eggs is unbelievably valuable to her. Whereas a man is predisposed to just be as indiscriminate as possible because it's all about quantity over quality. Therefore, the extension of that argument is when a relationship ends, a man is predisposed to go next, 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 Whereas a woman is predisposed to go, oh, dear God, it's the end of the world. I'm Adele. Quick, play her album. Everything has ended. What am I going to do? There's one egg down. I only have 399 left. We have to start from scratch. And I thought, boy, that's not my experience. And... You know, the guys I've seen who actually talk about this stuff, that's not their experience. That sounds a little cheeky to me. It doesn't seem right to me either. 
But how often are we told there's plenty more fish in the sea? Surely we're not basing our modern relationships on decades-old ideals. A lot of times when I give talks on this, I get this really mixed reaction. I, I, get, I get a lot of love and hate from both men and women. You know, you, you can't please everyone, but you can get everybody to get pissed at you at the same time. So I get a lot of people, oh, you know, you're catering to women because you want to seem woke, you know, and then I get a lot of people like, oh, you're bashing men. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. I, can't, I So, you know, yeah, I'm all for girl power because this research really does kind of suggest, geez, women really do, you know, they really kind of are in charge of this whole process. And even though they really go through the ringer and it really is true that a lot of times, you know, relationships really are screwed up by men. Men really do stupid stuff in relate. Men are men do dumb things. I mean, if, if this research has taught me anything and I'm not saying it's malicious, it's just that men men's relationship intelligence is not high. Um, and then. And then you see, and then going through the wreckage of the relationship, boy, women really navigate it well. So, you know, hooray for women. You know, men don't get any help going into a relationship. You know, men get, hey, be strong, be macho, go grab women, take them to cave, make them yours, rah. And, you know, and then when a relationship is over, oh, do not cry, be strong, go grab another woman, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, yeah, you know, there's no support. There's no. And so, yeah, your end result is you look at this and go, man, it's 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 hard for guys. Not only are we perhaps misunderstanding what drives guys in terms of relationships, but with society and its values moving so quickly, we maybe don't even get a chance to see many healthy modern relationships. Professor John Olife is the founder and lead investigator for the University of British Columbia's men's health research program it's interesting because you know those traditional values around breadwinner provider protector um you know i think i think they they're understood as kind of traditional values and then we oftentimes we think that guys have moved on from from that and got into more egalitarian kind of relationships and carry themselves differently but i think there's a hangover in terms of those values and a lot of pressures that guys perhaps put on themselves. Um, and so when they come up short in terms of relationships, they become distressed and disrupted. And I think especially in the COVID context, this has occurred. Um, you know, I think that uh, those values are, um, are tested and, uh, and, and some guys, you know, really do battle with those things. And if you think about mental health and mental illness with guys, um, oftentimes it's attached to successes in career uh, as well as being, you know, uh, a good family man. And, and and just to this to this point, there is no blueprint for boys and men because their fathers and their parents, their relationships don't always speak to the contemporary issues that are going on for young men in relationships these days. You know, so that generation apart, there's really no, no place you can go to sort of see exactly what you should be doing, you know, in terms of generation-wise. So I think, um, I think some education around communication would be a really, really important starting point. From a masculinity's point of view, 
what guys tend to do um, is they isolate to solve their own problems. So they look internally. So if you withdraw within the relationship and you look internally at a time when you're probably quite fatigued by the distress of the relationship to look for the remedy, independent of your partner or independent of external help, um, you know, that, that can wear really heavily. And we see it in mental health issues all the time um, where that interiority of the problem, that will be the place where they look for remedy. And that's, and that's really, really a big ask when you're, you know, in a distressed relationship that's very hard to, to manufacture. So we're starting out from a place where we have very few options to learn about relationships. We may be basing our relationships on outdated ideas. We maybe lack a little emotional intelligence. This doesn't seem like a great start. Craig Eric Morris again. It's a classic example of, of, of how low our relationship intelligence is that, um, you know, that we can enter into and exit into a relationship um, with really no input. <laughs> Usually one day a girl just says, you realize we're in a relationship now. And the guy goes, huh? Okay. And, and there you are. Now you're in a relationship. And then some amount of time later, inevitably the girl says, you know, we're through. And the guy goes, huh? <laughs> and for a lot of guys, there's, there's their first experience with the joy of a breakup. Yeah, I, I one day, you know, let's just happen to say I one day found out I was in a relationship. And looking back, how could I not have been? But that's what I mean. I was blissfully unaware that I was in a relationship. And looking back, how could I not have known that the relationship had ended? But yes, I, I kind of needed a billboard put up to say that I was not in the relationship anymore. And, and it's, it's not uncommon. It's that there's another key difference is that, uh, and that's one thing that's very difficult for women. And unfortunately that's, that's a real danger moment because that's where a lot of, um, that's where a lot of emotional and physical violence can come in is men don't hear that the relationship is over w when a relationship's over for a woman, it, it's over. But for men, it, it the, the message just doesn't get through. A woman can tell a man 10, 15, 20 times. She can tell his family, his friends, the man. She can write him a letter, write him an email, send him a text. So it maybe seems like we're a little bit reluctant to accept change from moving into the more formal labeling of in a relationship to the denial when a relationship is over. Gary Brown is a licensed marriage to family therapist with over 25 years in private practice. He explains that maybe our reluctance to embrace change also affects our expectations within a relationship. I, again, I hate to sound so disparaging of our end of the species, but, you know, we're, we're kind of emotional dunces, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I'm this quote so-called expert, you know, but, you know, I, I'd certainly have my own blind spots, Lord knows. Um, but I mean, look, women tend to be more tuned into their own emotional experiences and, and they're kind of, again, biologically, genetically predisposed to that. Um, th th they're much better at identifying what they need and also what they don't need. Um, you know, women, well, let me reverse that. As men, when we marry somebody, 
we do it with the expectation, honey, I love you just the way you are. And I don't ever want you to change. Well, I'm telling you, women change, people change. So we kind of go into this unrealistically, uh, at least some of us, um, expecting that, you know, the, the woman we fell in love with will never change and she'll be the same way at the age of 90 that she was when she was 19 or 29 or 39 when we met them. But it's not realistic. So as I think as men, we have unrealistic expectations. But I think the flip side is also true for women. I think women have expectations. Well, I'd like him enough right now to marry him. But you know what? I, I'm going to need to make some changes. He, you know, and 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 then, of course, for, for the women, they go, he's not changing the way I expected. As a matter of fact, this isn't working out at all the way I, I thought it was going to happen. And. Um, and, and so, um, I'm just going to end it, <laughs> you know, um, you know, if those changes didn't occur, um, uh, and oftentimes the men never knew that they were supposed to change, <laughs> um, you know, as men, we tend to be, I don't want to paint too broad a stroke here, but in general, we tend to be a little bit more content with the status quo. Uh, we tend to want to keep things a little bit more the way they are, a little bit more predictable, um, e even if they aren't fulfilling for us, uh, as we might have hoped things would be, we, we tend to kind of like would, would go along. Women are not that way. And, and again, I, I, it's not a judgment. It's just an observation, a social observation. Again, we're, we're wired differently and we're conditioned socially differently. And, and that's even true across cultures. This favouring of the status quo maybe leaves us without thinking too much about what we want from a relationship. And this can cause real issues, especially when problems arise, as John Olaf explains. And a lot of guys that we spoke to didn't have an expectation of what the relationship would bring. So when it was distressed, there was no real um, reference point to say, hey, this isn't what I want. It was more an acceptance of this is what it is. And so guys didn't always show up actively in the relationship, nor its end. One of the things that we learnt very much was around communication. And so we talk, we spoke to men in the aftermath of a, of a disrupted or a relationship that ended. And their primary thing was around communication. It was, it was that they didn't communicate effectively around the relationship so one of the one of the things they mentioned to us a lot was the idea of having a check-in um, on a regular basis uh, at a designated time to talk about the relationship with their partner to actually talk about you know what was working what what might need adjustment in an open and honest and authentic way and I, I found that really interesting because um, you know, oftentimes there's such assumptions about the relationships tracking okay, you know, or we might be having a rough patch, but, you know, it'll be okay. And that oftentimes guys won't be talking directly to their partner about it. So I think that was one of the things that sort of stood out as, as what guys needed to, to better build relationships. So with all of this knowledge, is it any wonder that a 2015 research study found that up to 70% of divorces were initiated by women, raising to 90% in college-educated women? Maybe it's time we consulted a divorce lawyer.
Divorce can be non-acrimonious. It can be two adult people who decide they don't want to live with each other anymore, who come to sensible arrangements with each other about finances and children. It does not have to be Putin-esque. It can be sensible and mediated or sensible through solicitors. So the notion that every divorce is War of the Roses is not true. Vanessa Lloyd-Platt is one of the UK's leading divorce solicitors. Television and films totally skew a perspective because of course in films they mostly have money and in the real world not everyone has as much money as the people in the films that are supposedly reflecting real life which they don't. Um, finances play a very large part in how we deal with these matters. Now, where the parties are very wealthy, it's a question of actuarially sorting it out. And quite often these days, when we have huge cases worth many millions, that it will be worked with, uh, we can work out the settlement with accountants and actuaries, etc. So it's really a numbers game. But where it is what we call the mum, dad and mortgage cases, where there's one home, one or two very small salaries and a pension, it is much more difficult to divide one household into two. When it comes to divorce settlements, it's often understood that men lose out in the majority of cases, especially when it comes to access to children. Well, what we are finding now more than ever um, and how it has changed over the years that I've been doing it is that many men are now having shared care. Now, where they have shared care, that means that their rights to accommodation for their children is equal to the mums. And so what's been happening more and more is that either the houses have been sold and the proceeds divided equally between them so that they can both rehouse, albeit in perhaps a smaller property each, but they are sharing the care of the children and therefore things are much more equal. Now, years ago, 20 years ago, shared care was frowned upon. Now, shared care doesn't necessarily mean equal time all the time. So what sometimes can happen is there can be a week on, week off with each parent or part of the week with one parent and part of the week with the other parent. But that is becoming much more popular and is a way in the mum-dad mortgage cases of evening things out a lot more. It's great that the standard is shifting towards shared parental custody of children, but we're also aware of how this is still a huge issue for a lot of men. In fact, this is such a huge issue that we're going to be dedicating a whole episode of the podcast to it. If you have experience of unfair custody arrangements, parental alienation, or have lost all contact with your children, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on social media, you can email us on info at theproblemwithmen.co.uk or contact us via our website at theproblemwithmen.co.uk If you're enjoying this podcast, support our work by leaving a rating or review on your favourite podcast app. The Problem With Men podcast One major change to how divorces happen is the introduction of no-fault divorces. These are available in some countries and states and were introduced in the UK in April 2022. The idea of the no-fault divorce is that it takes away the need for blame or accusations to be made. I would say that 
the process didn't really help them too much because it started off with a fault-based divorce making a lot of acrimony and if there was a defended petition because the other side didn't agree with the allegation it wasted an enormous amount of money but what a lot of parties do find very difficult is that the court aren't really very interested in who said what to whom or did what or had what affair the court are only interested in the welfare of the children of course it shouldn't be the court's job to referee disagreements in a relationship and it's important that the health and happiness of any children is given priority but where resources within a family are limited it can still be the man who seems to have to sacrifice more when the family is restructured in the mum-dad mortgage cases, there's definitely a sense by men that they lose out a lot more. They feel in so many of the cases that the wives have control over their lives in how they can see their children, how they can deal with their own finances. And if there's a small amount of maintenance also being paid to the wife and children, some men can feel that their whole lives that they have been working has suddenly been shattered and torn apart because everything they feel in their minds has been lost but it isn't lost and with our clients we try and tell them this is a temporary issue uh, your children need to be rehoused and if they are with mum more than you then it will even out in due course you will build up your resources again in the future you will have your children more and more as they get older we've also found that a lot of men not only do they miss the children they miss their home they miss the life that they had as a husband going out with other couples etc but they also miss their pets so we've had more cases where men are saying, look, you've got the children, can't I have the dog? And so, you know, men can become quite lonely. Um, I think that um, women do cope a lot better because they talk about things. They talk about things with their friends and their family. Men don't like to talk about the difficulties they're facing in their marriages. So when they come to an end, they still don't like talking about it. We've had many cases where if we, we have said, you know, have you told your friends that you're getting divorced? And they say, oh, no, no, no. You know, we've been out playing you know, football or pool or anything or, or at the pub, but we haven't mentioned that we're getting divorced. Men need to open up more, talk to their friends, talk to their family, and then they will get through it a lot better. They would then get the support that they need a lot more. But we, we do find that men tend to, to have some mental health issues if they don't actually share the worries that they have had. So divorce is more than a loss of a partner. It's the loss of status, of being a piece in a wider social group, a loss of direction. John Olife. Guys who are in a relationship and it breaks up and the kids stay with the with the partner, for example, and the friends tend to be connected via the kids and then there's this awkwardness that they lose their social network as well. There's also a deep amount of shame for many men that, you know, their investment in, their emotional investment in a relationship wound up, you know, not really, not really working out for them. So there's a self-isolation aspect in that as well so i think there's a couple of things that happen you know there's the shame that that drives 
that drives guys to self-isolate. And then there's also that piece where, you know, you, you lose the friends um, um, and even, you know, in-law family, you know, uh, as a byproduct of the, the relationship ending. I think the formality of the legal process and the division of assets and the payment of, you know, spousal support plus or minus child support, I think can weigh heavily on guys. The one, the fellas that we spoke to that were going through that process, it was part of the story. It wasn't, it wasn't their anger point or trigger point. It was just the unfamiliarity they had lack of familiarity rather they had with those processes and not understanding and having to find out and then having to work with lawyers and you know mediators all of that sort of sort of thing was very um disorientating for them and so many of the guys actually went to groups men's groups um guys who'd been through separation and divorce and and were able to get some sort of orientation to those processes, you know, as well as some emotional kind of exchange around, you know, what they were feeling, which I think think was helpful. But for sure, I think the I think the the lack of familiarity with with what you know is to come after the separation is 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 pretty tough on guys. You know, just they're just it's a brand new world, and it's costing them money usually as well. So at a time when Resources might not be as plush as they were um, during the relationship. Maybe part of that is, you know, related to the stories that make the press. You know, oftentimes it'll be, you know, one of those dire stories of a murder-suicide and custody wrangles and those sorts of things. Um, I I think also that anger is one of those one of those emotions that we that we kind of understand as male, you know. So uh, that'd be a couple of a couple of ideas around it. I, I I don't know that it represents, you know, all men. You know, I think I think there's elements of disappointment and sadness that aren't expressed as anger for men. So I, I think there is. It's just the most often told story is of the angry man. You know, who's been wrongfully done in the in the relationship and, you know, spent all this emotional energy and resource and in the end to no avail, you know, um, that might be the most often told story. But I, I believe that there's very different narratives out there about guys working through those those challenges and, and coming out the other side. Therapist Gary Brown. And men typically go, go through a whole slew of emotions. Um, um, and it really depends upon a number of factors. You know, it really depends. Like, did they see this coming? Did they see the divorce coming? Um, or, or did they? You know, even if their partner initiated, did they know it was happening? Or for them, it was like, you know, no, I actually feel relief. Um, you know, I've initiated it, or I've been waiting for her to to, to end this. Um, but sometimes it comes as a shock. There's confusion, frustration, um, sadness, grief. Um, because it, it does mean loss, um, but it could also include, again, relief, happiness, uh, and pretty much everything in between. I mean, there's really no right way to go through this emotionally. 
you know, I, I think that has to be sacrosanct. I think we have to respect the individual, the, the, the sanctity of the individual. I would say, you know, the breakdown of any relationship, you know, um, particularly if we don't want it to break down, do we don't want it to end? Uh, it's, it's a painful experience of loss. Um, and and I, I think what determines the degree of sadness and loss uh, and grief it is to the extent that we were attached to the person that we were in relationship with. You know, if, if you weren't that attached, oh, okay, no big deal. You know, it ended next. Um, but, you know, I mean, I've been married for, you know, it'll be 40 years this October, 41 years, actually, this October. Um, and for me, you know, if our relationship ended, I mean, so far, so good. <laughs> um, but if it ended, I, I would find it excruciatingly painful. Um, it, 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 it's a loss of, of a way of life that maybe one envisioned, um, you know, oh, we're married, we have children, we'll have grandchildren, we'll grow old. Craig Eric Morris suggests that there might be something about male psychology that makes us process things in a slightly more negative way. And from reading thousands of words from hundreds of men and women, and just at least what I know, uh, from psychology, you know, I'm an anthropologist, but my area of anthropology really overlaps with evolutionary psychology. So I know I know enough about psychology to kind of know what's helpful and what's harmful. And from my research, I would have to say that the female psychology is is positive, and the male psychology, for the most part, seems destructive. The male psychology is it comes from a place of, and again, this is most, most of the time, comes from a place of repression and rage and confusion and substance abuse and, and self-destructive behavior and a loss of focus and, and a hopelessness and a helplessness and a, and a mania and a um, a give me anything to make this pain go away. Give me booze, give me women, give me loud music, give me a new job, give me a new state to live in, give me, give me a gun, give me anything because I have no capability of handling this situation that I'm currently in. Women, it's give me a new church to go to, give me my friends, give me my family, uh, give me a cabin to go sit at and cry for 10 days. Um, you know, misery, N not positive, not happy, happy flowers and stuff. It's miserable, but it's, it's give me something to help me get. Th there's a purpose. It's give me people to talk to, give me something to, to hit, to, to get rid of this anger or give me a goal. Give me some, there's like a, there's a silver lining to it. There's a, there's almost a purpose to it. And, and there's a, there's an end game to it with men. There's, there's kind of a, there's kind of a, you know, uh, how, how would I say this? There's a, there's a, give me something painful enough so that I don't feel anymore. Whereas with, with women, it's a, um, you know, Give me a project where even if it's painful, the project leads to me being better. And I would argue that that does stay within the evolutionary framework.
because I would argue that that kind of keeps within the kind of the nihilistic outlook of men. Whereas if you say men are just little reproductive robots and they're just programmed to wander the earth looking for other women, well, there you go. No, no self discovery, which I don't completely agree with, but you know, there's no self discovery. There's no improvement. They're right where they were before, just on to the next one. And, you know, a, a woman has actually progressed somewhere. She's, she has made a journey. She's, she's gone to a bad place and made progress. She's discovered a, you know, she's discovered that she has a toolkit and she's used that toolkit and has come back from that bad place better than she was before. And a lot of women actually, I mean, it's, it's not that I'm incredibly intuitive. A lot of women come right out and say that. I did X, Y, and Z, and I hated it, and I hate him, but I'm better for it. And a lot of guys come right out and say, it was miserable. I don't know what happened. I, you know, I don't know if I'm any better for it. I don't think I'm over it, but at least I forgot about it. So you can, you can look at, you can say, well, they both got over it. And one, one, you know, the woman is like, yay. I'm better, faster, and stronger. And the guy's like, I don't know what the hell happened to me, but at least I don't think about it anymore. Our sometimes negative way of viewing things, our instinct to isolate ourselves and turn inwards, can have some very severe consequences, as John O'Liff explains. So a man who divorces is eight times more likely to suicide than a female who divorces. And divorced men are four times more likely to suicide than guys who haven't gone through that so that's very downstream that's 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 that dire outcome um, and we so it heightens the risk and I think when we think about upstream um, anxiety uh, also depression and depressive symptoms they're some of the things that occur as a byproduct of divorce and and separation and and so it's trying to intervene and provide some supports to help get through what will inevitably be some period of mental health challenges so as we don't get to the point of guys believing that you know taking their own life is a is a viable option but it's definitely a risk factor we've been doing suicide research in males for i don't know 15 years now and and we've always treated divorce, whether the guy's single or married, as a kind of a, a demographic that we regress against, you know, other other um, factors um, and constructs to say, you know, uh, men are more at risk if they're if they're divorced. But we've never really done the work of talking to guys about what that looks like and feels like, ex with the exception of this this latest work, which is which has just been so eye-opening to, to, to recognise that there is a lot of trauma that goes on and, that, and there is a genuine need for, for peer and professional kind of help for these guys. Um, I'd imagine that they're probably, you know, there's levels of risk um, associated with the circumstance. So a partner-initiated uh, breakup versus the the man leaving the relationship you know whether he goes to a new relationship straight away or there's some element of infidelity they'd all factor in as as things that that would 
allocate a certain amount of or a certain level of risk um, for the for the mental health outcomes and the suicide. Um, that said, I think that what we note is is that men, irrespective of whether they initiated the the, the separation or not, um, go through this really complicated grief, and that's that's the piece that there needs to be some work. And and many guys that we spoke to used it as an epiphany and a driver to be better in subsequent relationships or just better generally in themselves. And that was really focused on self-work, the idea of, of what, how am I showing up in a relationship? How, what do I want in a relationship? Really getting back to those fundamentals and doing the work of what they could have done better in the relationship, what they, you know, what's on them in terms of forgiveness of themselves and partners and moving, moving through that piece. I think one thing that's going to crop up time and time and again in this podcast is the fact that men need to be more open and talk about the things we have going on. It's hard, really hard. It's something we don't have much practice in, something we sometimes can't even form the words for. But it seems like it's really important that we try. Gary Brown again. I, I think... As men, I hate to sound so disparaging, but a lot of it is societal conditioning on us. You know, women in general, frankly, are just much more in tune with their own emotions, you know, their own feelings, their own thoughts about things. Um, and, and women, by the way, tend to be more social than, than we are. It's not like we aren't social, but when I say social, I mean in the context of women are much more likely to share their inner world with other women and, may, and maybe other men. Um, and so women are more socialized to, to share and to want to connect in that way. And there's actually some biological and genetic imperatives to that. And that could be a whole other podcast. Um, and as men, we're mostly conditioned to kind of like still, even in this day and age, just kind of suck it up, dude, you know, um, keep it inside, put, 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 put on the, put on the face, you know, uh, let every people see the mask. Don't let people see what's underneath the mask. Don't let anybody see that you're in pain. And the reason we're, quote, not supposed to do that is because then we're viewed as vulnerable and weak. That is an incredibly, and has been through the millennia, incredibly damaging myth, uh, particularly as it relates to interpersonal relationships. So I, I think men, by default, and, and how society has conditioned us, even in this, quote, modern age, um, uh, there are still certain expectations of us. And, and I think we suffer mightily from that. I, I would say to really ask yourself, is my keeping all of this stuff in working? <laughs> is it working out for me? You know, um, am I feeling closer to people as a result of keeping all of it inside? I would venture the answer, if we're really honest with ourselves, is no, <laughs> um, maybe hell no. Um, you know, um, to, to the extent that we, we stay hidden inside is, is the extent to, to which we really exacerbate our own feelings of loneliness. A, a lot of men don't even know that they're lonely. They know something's wrong, but they're just, they haven't been conditioned, certainly not given the permission uh, to, to really be open. And, and vulnerability is viewed as weakness. I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I really want to bullet this. Um, I, I think vulnerability for men, not only is not weakness, it, it's a sign of strength. 
in one's general day-to-day life when you know your your very survival is not being threatened you know it really is okay to open up and i know from experience it can feel awkward and maybe a little embarrassing when a mate tries to open up to us we also need to learn how to be more open to listening more open to hearing someone who's going through a tough time and if we're feeling awkward about it then that's okay to to invite them to be more vulnerable to invite them to welcome them to encourage them to say hey you know obviously what's going on with you whatever that happens to be is important and i want to hear more about it help me understand what's it like to be experiencing the situation for you and and how can i support you here if you're not used to it to say you know what i mean i'm not really used to talking this way so if i come across kind of geeky or just you know seems like I'm awkward is because I am feeling kind of geeky and awkward, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think a little self-effacement here is quite fine. You know, a little humility Just say, I'm, you know, I'm kind of not really good at this, but I really am trying and I really, I really do want to understand more. It's so easy for us to shut a conversation down because we feel awkward. We need to appreciate how much more difficult it might be for the person trying to open up. As John Olive explains, we don't need to have answers or solutions. Guys sometimes just want to be heard. It's interesting because we can be complicit in those in those behaviours. So even if we're not embodying those behaviours ourselves, we can be very complicit in terms of um, anchoring guys to solving their own problems. So as simple as a guy having a conversation about a challenge in his relationship with someone outside of the relationship. So say a mate, you know, and having a chat about what's challenging and what's not working. Um, very easily you can shut that that man down you know you can you can just not go there and keep it light or you can listen and try to just you know be there for that person and i think i think what's interesting too a lot of times when guys listen to other guys they feel compelled to provide the answer or to help them problem solve the issue and what we heard from guys that we spoke to is it's exactly what they don't want they just want someone to listen they don't want someone to solve it for them. You don't have to fix anything for them. But but to allow them to talk through what's going on is incredibly powerful, you know, and, and deeply helpful for for guys to to work their way through these challenges. The permission to talk is is really important. And with guys, they do talk. You just have to open the 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 pathways you know just by listening you don't have to fix the problem and be in and out in 10 minutes and and have it done it's that's not the that's not the goal the goal is to try and help them process what they're thinking arrive at their own conclusions and affirm them in their actions you know and 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 that is really helpful um and notwithstanding you know you you can drop the occasional recommendation about, you know, perhaps there would be someone that you could talk to in a professional sense. You know, you can insert those things, but but you're not leading with that. As terrifying as opening up to someone can seem, the alternatives are more self-destructive, as Gary Brown explains. We try to self-medicate the pain away through alcohol, prescription, non-prescription medications, street drugs, you know, so all those maladaptive things that we do to avoid the pain rather than saying, well, I'm not saying wallow in it, but I'm saying learn from your pain. You know, it has something to teach us. And uh, there's another saying, the avoidance of, of suffering tends to create more suffering. 
and and that's that is antithetical to what most people believe. If I can avoid pain, I'll be happy. Good luck with that. Um, and, and just ex- again, I would say just accept that this is part of your now life experience. Um, and if you try to avoid what the experience is trying to teach you, you may wind up creating even more pain for yourself and others down the road if you don't learn whatever lessons you need to learn from this. Um, you know, definitely seek out family, seek out friends, seek out professional help, clergy, if, if that's where you find comfort. Um, but don't try to navigate these understandably choppy waters of divorce by yourself. Oh, I handle everything by myself. Well, my guess is that probably does not work out well for you. Give, give up the macho thing and, and, and ask for some help and let people know, hey, I, I could use your company right now. I need to talk about this. So embrace your self-care, you know, continue doing activities that bring you pleasure, you know, seek out others. Again, remember that pain shared is pain halved. And by the way, it's quite possible the quality of your life could be significantly enhanced post-divorce. It's not all bad. There's a whole new world that can open up for you. And, and as you as you work through the pain, not around the pain, but as you work through the pain, maybe you're going to discover new possibilities for your life that you had never imagined before. And, and that could be a beautiful thing. We may find it difficult to handle a breakup. Grief is the cost of love. And as much as our own breakups feel like the worst things we can imagine, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that have gone through similar and come out of the other side. Craig Eric Morris. But no, as, as far as, you know, as far as the information, I just like people to know that they're not alone. Um, you know, there's, there's hundreds and thousands and literally millions of people that feel the way they do. Pretty much everything, every way you could possibly feel is normal. There's all sorts of help available. Um, you know, th- this, this isn't anything to feel abnormal about. Um, you know, this literally can be a life and death issue. You know, people literally do feel bad enough about this that they drop out of school, they lose their jobs. People lose their lives over this. You can die of a broken heart. People have. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm not talking about overdose. I'm talking about people have died from heartbreak. So this is as deadly serious as it gets. So, you know, I I talk about this and I have fun with it. But the main reason I choose to talk about this is because I want people to know they're not alone. And I want people to, to if they feel the need to learn about it, I want them to know that there's an enormous amount of information out there and there is a lot of help available. My breakup was, um, it was very uh, difficult. It, it, it knocked my sense, the easiest way to, to put it is it knocked my sense of everything out from under me. I didn't know. I didn't know if up was down, if black was white. I didn't know if I could trust what my family was telling me. I didn't know if my friends were my friends anymore. I didn't know if money had value. I didn't know. And this sounds so melodramatic. But this is, I can remember just as clear today as it was, you know, back then. I didn't remember if going, I don't, uh, I didn't know if going to school had any value. 
I didn't know if working was worth, if there was any, you know, I didn't even know if there was a reason to get up in the morning. It, it took everything and shook it all up and just threw it on the ground in a pile. And I had no idea what to do with any of it. And I felt that way for months and then months stretched into years. And I'm not saying it's that way for everybody. But as soon as I found out that it's kind of like that for some people and it's and it's exactly like that for at least a few people, as soon as I found that out, then I knew I wasn't the only person in the world. And once you find out you're not the only person in the world, then it's a whole new ballgame. You know, as soon as you find out you're not the only person that changes everything. And once you know there's a, oh, actually a couple people, then it's game on. It, it's funny because like in, in these interactions, I'm the only fortunate one because because, you know, I've I've suffered terribly from this. I, my breakup was devastating and it 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 ruined the next relationship was like 15 years long and it it proactively ruined that relationship and the next relationship was six years later and since it ruined the 15-year relationship that relate you know it 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 colored the next 20 or 30 years of my life and and this project by exposing me to hundreds of people's horror stories allowed me to realize i'm not alone and allowed me to learn enough to actually put me on a path where there was a possibility to get to a place where I could find some peace. So it's it's the craziest thing because yes, it's such a it's that's everyone's like why would you you know it's anthropology all you have to do is pick any topic that has something to do with people. Why would you pick you know, why not pick brain cancer in children? You know, why not pick something even more awful than this? And I'm like, no, you don't understand this. This, you know, project helped me become, you know, happy and healthy. And people just look at me like, what a weirdo. But it it did. But at the same time, yeah, it is. It's so bleak. Um, the reading through the data is um you know the the numbers you can you you can lose yourself in the abstractness of all of it but when you get to the you know the people writing in their own words um when you read about the danger and the violence and the ugliness that uh women have been exposed to and when you read about the hell that men torture themselves with you know there's there's all this stigma of these evil women and stuff it is nothing compared to what men put themselves through. You know, men get the short shift of being these, you know, emotionless blockheads. But if you give men a chance to speak for themselves, you know, men know when they've done something wrong and they just torture themselves over it. And when you read that, it is, oh, it's heartbreaking. Um so yeah, it is. It's a very difficult and very sad topic. But when you really wallow around in it, you you kind of come out of it in in a strange way kind of um I don't know, kind of um 
I, I kind of feel almost like a kinship, like a, I, it, it sounds weird, but there, there's, there's, there's something kind of, um, there's something, there's something kind of almost healing from a shared suffering. So if breakups are so devastating and painful, what makes us go through it all again? I, I used to end a lot of my talks with, it was a, um, I always tried to put as, as many of, of the words verbatim um, from, from the survey respondents in. Um, and the one I used to always close my talks with was a, it was a lady from Greece. Uh, it was, uh, I, 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 you know, I never got anybody's names. They were just coded with numbers, but uh, it was a respondent in her twenties from Greece. Um, and she just said, um, uh, I would go through all of it again to experience love. So, you know, there is a strong argument to be made, you know, that, that, you know, a truly good relationship and to truly be in love is, you know, the highest of highs. So it certainly is worth it. Um, you know, now there's a, there's a nice way of looking at it, which is, and one that I truly believe in is that, you know, for most of us, again, not everyone, but for most of us, you know, operating in a stable, supportive, nurturing pair bond is really a great way to go through life. Um, and, you know, hopefully most of us haven't really had a, you know, just a soul rending breakup that we, you know, we still wake up every day ruining. So, you know, the, the combination of a really great relationship and, you know, hopefully not a really devastating, rotten one means, you know, we'll always choose the relationship over over not this has been the problem with men podcast thank you to our experts for spending the time talking to us for this episode if you've enjoyed listening give us a review or rating on your favorite podcast app and why not let your friends know we exist as always we're keen to hear from you if there's any topic or subject you think it's important for us to cover you can get in touch with us via our website at theproblemwithmen.co.uk. This is also a great place to find more information on any of our episodes, including our sources and further reading. Until next time, goodbye. Problem with Men podcast is an Octopus Industries production, produced and presented by Chris Dodd and produced by Sandra Cabasinguzi.